0: Hi, I'm Sarah Ivory. Now, I know I'm not the voice you're used to hearing at the beginning of Culture Gab Fest, but I'm here to bring you something special, an episode of Life Effects, a podcast about health from Teva Pharmaceuticals and Slate Studios. At times, the healthcare industry can feel aloof. This season, we're focusing on what's really important, the people. By exploring all kinds of health conditions through the lens of the patient, we'll give our listeners a firsthand look at what healthcare can do when it puts people first. Today's episode is all about caregivers. What happens when people who step up to care for sick family members end up neglecting their own health? We'll tell the story of how today's caregivers are becoming tomorrow's patients. If you like what you hear today, you can subscribe or listen anywhere you get your podcasts. This paid podcast
1: is produced by Slate Studios and Teva Pharmaceuticals. From Slate
0: Studios and Teva Pharmaceuticals, this is Life Effects, a podcast about health. I'm Sarah Ivory, your host. In this season, we're exploring health conditions and trends through the lens of the patient. We look at what they experience now...
2: And I couldn't even begin to think of how we were going to get through the next six months to a year. It was like, how do I get through this next hour? And we bring experts into the conversation
1: who can map out what the future might hold. In general, I'm optimistic that we're moving forward in this country, even though we do roll back. And as women have a greater and greater voice, I think we will do better. Today, we enter
0: the world of caregivers, the relatives and friends who step up when sick family members need our attention. Most of that attention is full-time, some of it is round-the-clock. It's not surprising these caregivers end up neglecting their own health and needs. What happens when they also have young kids at home that they have to look after? How soon will today's caregivers become tomorrow's patients? These are questions that Kate Schrock knows all too well. Here's Kate's story.
2: A couple days ago my son and I took a jaunt out to uh, Peaks Island and there was this, you know, cavernous concrete structure and there were young people just walking through the tunnels. I heard this young man's voice. He started saying, I feel like singing. And he started breaking into this gospel tune and he was with three other young women, and they joined in. And my son, who's like in motion constantly, stopped in his tracks. And I looked up, there was this slogan someone had painted, and it said, trust your struggle. We all have to go through it. And maybe we can go through it with some grace. I've been a recording and performing artist for uh, several decades. I was actually in the studio when I discovered that I was uh, expecting a child. I was uh, 41. It was uh, a relationship, there wasn't a commitment there. So I was looking at single mom done from the get go. And I started. An interior house painting business. It brought money in and it was it enabled me to be home. My mom just showed up on my doorstep with her bags. She said, I oh, I'm moving in with you, and I'm gonna be here until you have this baby. And she seemed really up for it. It felt like a good idea at the time. My son was, he was in his second year, and my mom started falling. We were living in an old house, and we were kind of on top of each other. My son was getting more mobile, and I remember a friend came to visit, and she went, wow, you are sandwiched. You know, my mom wasn't bouncing out of it. Another surgery, another recovery, immobility, she had medical costs, and we were, we were even unsure about how much this was going to cost. I started taking out cash advances from credit cards just to get through. And I couldn't even begin to think of how we were going to get through the next six months to a year. It was like, how do I get through this next hour? I felt really helpless, and I could see her losing her own sense of hope. Uh, A couple times a week, I would go sit with a a group. It was very restful to hear other people's struggles um, and see their strength. It it had to get worse before it got better, but um, it did get worse all along this. You know, I've got this young, amazing child. A lot of my focus was, was more on my mom. It felt like the environment was dangerous for my mom. And it was also so frustrating emotionally, psychologically. It was starting to be kind of dangerous for my son, too. And I told my mom, I said, I said, we need help. We need to get you professional help. We need to get you a program. That was the moment she called me a coward. I don't think my mom was happy to hear advice, and she wasn't listening, and, and that felt dangerous. And I said, I don't know how we're going to do it. And I don't think I can do this anymore.
0: Kate Schrock's story doesn't end there. And she's with us today. Hi, Kate. Hi. Great to be here. We've also got Sandy Butler. She's a professor in the School of Social Work and a resident scholar at the Center on Aging at the University of Maine. Sandy, welcome to you. Thank you, Sarah. So we heard Kate's story as she was caring for her frail mom and a young son. It wasn't a sustainable situation. Kate, you told your mom, I don't think I can do this anymore. How long exactly did it take before you were able to say that? Nine years. Wow, that's a long time. What did you do at that point at nine years?
2: My sister-in-law suggested we reach out to, the, um, to an agency on, on aging here locally. And it was like a lifeline for me. I made a phone call, and it was such a relief to hear somebody speaking um, in a level way and also to reassure us that what we were going through, what my mom was going through, and what I was going through um, was normal. And that provided some relief, um, and, it, and it sort of jumped us out of this isolated shame bubble that I think that we were in. Um, and that, that began the journey. Tell me, how's your mom's health now? We found her um, a senior living community where she has people around her all the time, but it's independent, which is wonderful. And that formula has, has really supported her um, for the last year and a half. And what about your health and that of your son? I feel that I'm I'm recovering and I'm regaining the focus I I need to um to address my own stress levels and my own physical and emotional health. Um and my son too because um because our our situation at home has calmed down. So he can he can just be his kiddo self and feel more relaxed and I see that in him. So he he just she seems more more confident and centered and happy. Uh Sandy, what are your thoughts when you hear Kate's story? Well,
1: it it sounds like a lot of hard work and I think the feelings of shame and guilt and isolation are very common even as they're very particular and specific to Kate's um situation. So, it, you know, despite the fact that it's isolating, there's so many people that are in similar situations. Tell us, Sandy, how did you uh, get into this field? Can you trace for us your path uh, into social work and into gerontology? I went off into Peace Corps after college and, and decided as I was leaving Peace Corps that I wanted to continue to work on social change. And social work has that as a mission, so I pursued social work but um, have had a, a real interest in poverty my whole life. And about 15 years ago, I got very interested in direct care workers. And direct care workers are the formal caregivers. Kate being a family caregiver is what we sometimes call informal caregiver. And my interest in direct care workers, these are the home care workers, the home health aides, um, was in part because they help older adults stay at home as opposed to entering nursing facilities. They are tend to be uh, low income women who work for really low wages, and so that I've done a few studies on on them. Um, most recently, I this past summer I did some research on adult day services, which is one possibility for respite for um, family caregivers is to have their loved one um, in the day go to a Uh, a day program. There are not very many of them, and they also can be costly. Um, There's some assistance for people who are low income, but mostly people have to pay out of pocket.
0: Um, uh, This is just an aside, but I've recently had a couple of conversations with people about long-term care. Uh, My parents are, they live at home and they're fine, but, you know, these questions come up as people age, and uh, they have friends over, um, and one of the friends of theirs, his mother is in a long-term care facility, and it costs $14,000 a month. I mean, just hearing that makes me so nervous about the possibility of getting older and unwell and having, you know, going bankrupt and bankrupting everybody around me in the effort to, you know, just be taken care of.
1: Yeah, long-term care is very expensive, and people don't have a good understanding that Medicare does not pay for it. So you either have to be wealthy... Or you have to be really poor, in which case Medicaid pays for it. And what often happens is people spend down their assets and then they become eligible for Medicaid. Very few people can afford long-term care insurance, which can pay for some amount of long-term care. So, uh, yeah, it's it's not a good situation and our country has not um, dealt with it very well so far.
0: I understand there was a study from 2013 that actually put a dollar value on the work that caregivers do. What was it?
1: Um, It has been estimated that family caregivers, um, the work that they do is valued at $470 billion. That's an incredible amount of money. And there's another estimate that um, people who give up work in order to do family caregiving will over a lifetime lose up to $300,000 of income, in, and, and then in addition to that, retirement income. So we are asking these people to uh, do a labor of love um, at, at great sacrifice.
0: Let me ask you, though, Kate's situation is not unusual. We see this story kind of playing out across America. There are people who have to care for their aging parents while they're also raising children. And these uh, people uh, belong to the sandwich generation. That's what we're calling it. How does this generation differ from previous generations?
1: Well, I think um, in part, maybe it's been more than one generation, but the movement of women into the labor force, I mean, Women of color have always been in the labor force, but white women have been more likely to move into the labor force since the 1970s. And prior to that, men were more likely to have a earn what was called a family wage in manufacturing. They wouldn't even have to have a, a college education, and they could— earn enough to allow their wives and the mothers of their children to stay home and take care of kids. And that's no longer true. Most families have to have two earners. And then we also have a rising rate of divorce and single parenthood. Um, So there's only one person to bring in the money and then that one person to take care of the kids. And then if you have on top of that um, an older adult to take care of, it's just incredibly stressful. And then workplaces are not particularly friendly to people who have to take time off for caregiving, whether it's children or older adults or a combination of the both. Um, And again, we don't do as well as some other countries in that regard. We don't have paid family leave or we're not required to. Certainly some employers do, but many, many don't. Some don't even have paid, you know, any kind of paid sick leave at all. Um, And then also people are having fewer children, and people are living longer. So we have fewer people to care for older people who are around longer. And so it's just putting more and more stress on those that are there.
0: I want to jump back and ask you a little bit about the demographics of caregivers. Have we seen or do you foresee a shift in who is administering care, formally and informally?
1: Um, Well, um, it has always traditionally been women, and there continues to be an expectation that women will step up to the plate first, if there is a woman available. But men also are caregivers, and I think the split is now... Um, supposedly about 60% women, 40% men among caregivers. But the tasks that they do are different. Uh, Women tend to do more hours of caregiving and doing more of the personal care, whereas men might be doing financial care or house maintenance care and things like that. And then certainly... um, Caregivers are more likely to be employed than in years go- gone by, as I mentioned earlier. And at this point, about 60% of family caregivers are employed. And I think in this, I'm talking about caregivers of older adults. And um, I think that's a, a, a trend that will, you know, continue, that more and more will be employed. Um, and then also, um, as I think I mentioned before, there there are fewer Children, people have fewer children, so there are fewer caregivers to go around. And so there'll be more of a need to depend on formal caregiving going forward.
0: Are they often also caregivers uh, immigrants?
1: Yes, yes. Direct care workers, uh, I think about a third of the direct care workers in the country are immigrants.
0: Kate, I have two questions for you that relate to uh, what Sandy just said. One is, in terms of um, single parenting and people having only children, uh, what was your situation, if you can get into it at all? I mean, you mentioned you have a sister-in-law, so I wondered if you had anybody to kind of share the responsibility with.
2: I I didn't have a lot of support. Um, My sister-in-law, who's wonderful, she was putting herself through uh, nursing school. Um, during that time so she was really really busy Um, and my brother super busy they have three kids Um, they had a lot going on and my mom had a lot of pride too putting a good face to them like everything's okay (laughs) you know Um, so we were we were really late in reaching out for that support but when we did uh, they were really there.
0: The other thing I wondered about is when it came time to make uh, parenting decisions for your child versus caring decisions for your mother in the course of the day, how did you uh, determine where to turn and what to do? I mean, you had these uh, equally demanding priorities in front of you.
2: In terms of making a decision or, or balancing the care, I, that was I, that's the hardest thing that anyone could ever do. When you've got two um, people really in need and deserving of, of attention and care and to try to, to um, decide or choose, um, I would do the best that I could to stabilize one and take care of the other and, and, and keep calm. I, I'd say the in, in the worst of times, it's when the, the house... more and more. And my son was getting left out and his needs started getting, you know, a a certain different type of need. Um, As kids grow, they have different needs. It It was a tough confluence.
0: Has that lessened now that your mother is not in the home with you?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, they, you know, my, my, my son just, he adores his grandma, and she adores him. And they can enjoy each other. And they're actually together right now while I can while I come down and do this podcast. Um, and they look forward to that time. It's short, it's concise. And I try to create the support around them so that they're not stressed. It's, it's not too long. It's not too much. And, and they get the best of each other. Now that you've gotten help and your mother's doing
0: better, life seems to have calmed down, or is still calming down. What are you doing specifically to take care of your own needs?
2: Well, I'm I'm carving out a little bit more time to de-stress, um, and and my life has simplified in 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 a lot of ways, and it's also uh, become a little bit more complicated too, but in wonderful and also meaningful ways. Um, this experience has really grounded me and inspired me. and so much of of what Sandy was saying about her own work and and focus,, um, you know, being off the road and uh, being in community and and being in, you know, a very human uh, struggle and situation. It's opened my eyes to um, a lot of things. I'm inspired to work for social change, and in, in fact, I am running for a uh, state house rep. There are so many things that we should be doing, can be doing, are doing, and we need legislators to support that. Um, and I want to be one of them. So if I can, if I can help and be a part of that, and that's really helping me heal. I learn, and I learn about a lot of struggle, and we have widespread struggle. Um, but we can do better, I think, as a as a community, as humanity, um, and to bring that support web back into focus, not only through legislation, but through um, through education and uh, just awakening. So, if I can be a part of that positively, um, I'm going to continue to work in that in that focus.
0: Wow! So you've been spending the summer, I guess, campaigning a little bit. Yes, I have. Yep. So as you've done that and you've raised this issue of caregiving when you've met you know voters and constituents, possible constituents, what has the reaction been?
2: Well, as Sandy's saying, and she is, she is spot on, um, we have in my region um, it and it doesn't matter like what what letter is after anyone in terms of registered voters. Um, I am just running into um, in- incredibly conscious people and compassionate people wanting to see how they can, how we can improve on taking care of our most fun- vulnerable. And that has been so heartening to me. Um, so by and large, she's absolutely right. We have not become an uncaring society. Maybe we've become more busy and, and there's, there are more demands, um, but the heart is there. And that's heartening to me. So um, it's inspiring. Um, it's given me hope.
0: Sandy, I want to ask you a quick question. I wonder going forward, how can healthcare support caregivers of today
1: like Kate and also caregivers of tomorrow? Um, I think if we had... Um, Paid sick time um, and paid family leave. Uh, we do have a Family Leave Act that allows people that work in larger organizations to to be guaranteed leave um, and not lose their job, but it's not paid. So for many people, that's not um, good enough. Um, I think that um, if we have, you know, more... Uh, women in policymaking roles like um, Kate running for office, it'll be more likely that some of these family-friendly fem- policies can pass because consistently it has been female policymakers who have pushed these kinds of um, policies. And, it, it, and they could also include things like um, subsidized child care, which we don't have in this country, which is really, really expensive in the same way that long-term care services are really expensive. So if we could have Uh, more universal programs that um, are supportive of families, whether it's children or whether it's older adults. And these do exist in other countries, be it Canada or Western Europe. So as people are living longer and they're having kids later, what
0: do you see for the future of caregivers and for people who are in the sandwich generation
1: now? I guess unless we do change policies, I see more of the same. I think... It will be, um, you know, it'll be a continued stress on women and, you know, more and more men as well. Um, And unless we um, can find ways to finance long-term care that people can really afford, um, it will mean families will be stretched and... um, in general, I'm optimistic that we're moving forward in this country, even though we do roll back. And as women have a greater and greater voice, I think we will do better. Um, we have um, more women in Congress than we have in the past. Maine has typically had um, quite a few female legislators, and we're not, we are not—we don't have as many now as we have sometimes in the past. But I, I do think that as women who are the traditional caregivers um, are, speak up and are heard, that we are likely to be able
2: to pass laws that are more supportive.
1: Kate, what does the future look like for you?
2: Well, for the next few months, it's it's more of the same juggle, plus talking to um, my constituents, future constituents and, and campaigning and uh, learning more, connecting more with um, with people who are educated and moving um, forward like, like Sandy, and um, so I, it, it, it's one day at a time, in a lot of ways, and to be present and awake and willing, and that's sort of how I'm, I'm approaching everything. Um, I don't know about my, my creative piece of me, that's always, it's always there, um, I don't think that that's ever going to go away, and um, I imagine I will be enjoying watching my son Um, Mature, and I will be there for my mom, and I hope to be there for others as well uh, uh, on a bigger scale. So I'm feeling hopeful, optimistic.
0: So you're not going to stop writing songs or
2: performing? I don't think so, no.
0: So could we go out with a song now?
2: That sounds great. Um, is a song um, called If Loving You, and I and I thought it might be um, appropriate for our, our, our topic. Do, like an angel glittering in the sky A voice like heaven, you know you make me cry There's no future I'm gonna
0: Kate Strach, Sandy Butler, thank you both very much for joining us today.
2: Thank you. It was an honor to be on your show.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Kate Strock is a singer-songwriter in Portland, Maine. Sandy Butler is a professor in the School of Social Work at the University of Maine at Orono. Life Effects is a production of Slate Studios in partnership with Teva. You can find links to the studies we mentioned and more about everything in this series at lifeeffects.teva. I'm Sarah Ivry. Thank you so much for listening. Please join us again next time.